0: Behold, your God, behold, your God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and accounted as dust on the scales. Those are the words of the prophet Isaiah. God is a God of might and of power. Apostle Paul says that since the creation of the world, his eternal power has been clearly seen being understood through what has been made. And we understand power, right? Power is the ability to impose your will. Power in the world is seen, for example... In being able to send rioting mobs to destroy buildings in order to leverage your own way. Power comes out of the barrel of a gun, Mao Zedong said. The people of Israel and others as well were waiting for the appearing of God's Messiah, and they were waiting for him to come in power. Jesus is not what they expected. Maybe, maybe he was laying low, keeping a low profile until just the right time when he would turn things around, when his power would flow from the mouth of a sword. Their expectations were never realized. The hope for revolt and socio-political upheaval, the power they expected, the power that they had seen with the Maccabees, it never came. But it's not that the Messiah has no power. It's rather that he changes everything that we think about power. It's Palm Sunday. This is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and they will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt full of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Father, today may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. The kingdom of God was about to come. The king was about to take his place as the ruler of the nations. And he was about to make his power known. In a way that most people don't like and no people expected. and it changes everything we think about power. The Christ event was an impact event in history. It changed everything, even for those who aren't his followers. You know, today we, we value humility. We see it as a virtue. If you have somebody who achieves some great thing but they're humble, maybe even uncomfortable with the spotlight. We see that as a virtue. At least in theory, we see humility as a virtue. You know, the, the theme of some uh, science fiction movies are people traveling back in time, right? And they, they go back in time and uh, see this or do that or something, you know, happens there. And I want to tell you that if we were able really to do that and if we were to travel, if you were able to travel back to the first century, um, it wouldn't look like something you'd see in the movies or what you would imagine. And the reason being is because you would be completely out of your element. You would stick out like a sore thumb, and, and you would be completely out of your element because your entire value system would be different than the value system that was around you. It's hard for us to imagine, but in the Greco-Roman world, humility was not a virtue. It was seen as a positive vice. It was, in a word, disgusting. Somebody who was deliberately uh, humble, took the deliberate... Somebody might be humiliated... But if they deliberately took it, I say with no exaggeration, I've used the example before, I've seen the grimace on some of your faces when I've done it, but I'll use it again. It would be as if you took animal dung, smeared it all over your face and torso and arms and went out into public. Power, pride, and the imposition of one's own will is what good people did. It was the law of nature. Plato wrote, Nature herself teaches us that it is just for the better to have more than the worse, the powerful more than the weaker. Justice consists in the superior having more than and ruling over the inferior. Aristotle, the teacher of Alexander the Great, said, From the hour of their birth, some are marked out for subjugation and some for rule. And so what we see in the ancient world is that those with disabilities, women, slaves, were clearly inferiors, their bodies, but living machines and tools to be used by the powerful. on the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem, everybody could sense that something was about to happen. And the crowd gathered, not as mere spectators, but as supporters. And had Jesus walked into Jerusalem that day, It's what the people would have expected. If he had ridden a horse into Jerusalem that day, I don't think you could have restrained the crowd. But he sent his disciples ahead of him to obtain a donkey. Men walk into the city. Even if you had ridden a donkey most of the way there, you would dismount and lead it as you walked into the city. If you wanted to signal power, you'd ride in on a horse. Women and old men ride donkeys into the city. Jesus had walked most of the way there and in the last two-mile leg of his journey sends his disciples ahead to get a donkey so he can sit on it to ride into Jerusalem. And in John's account, he tells us that the disciples are perplexed by the whole thing. It's not until later that they understand what it was all about. Behold, the Lord your God comes in might, said the prophet Isaiah. Really? doesn't look like might. Not like anyone's definition of might. But this changes everything we think about power. Because God's ways are not our ways. So Jesus comes and he claims, we see in the Gospels, to be the unique Son of God, even to be God himself. He claimed, for example, to forgive sin, and the Pharisees rightly said, who but God can forgive sins? He made outrageous statements like, before Abraham was, I am. And speaking of God, he said, I and the Father are one. I want to emphasize that fact to you because we can't really understand the story of the Bible, the story of the church, and why it's here without understanding that, that Jesus claimed to be God. And and I say that because not everybody buys that. Uh, C.S. Lewis in his day famously laid out three alternatives because in Lewis's day there were people who were saying, well, you know, I think that Jesus was a good teacher, but he wasn't really God. And, and Lewis said that that struck him as nonsense. That that when you look at the things that Jesus said, he, he's not merely a good teacher. In fact, either he's a liar. He says things about himself that he knows are not true, in which case he's not good at all and ought not to be followed. Or, Lewis said, he's a lunatic on the order of someone, Lewis said, who calls himself a poached egg and he ought not to be followed. Or, he is in fact Lord. But he's he's not merely a good teacher. He's he's cut that avenue off for us. Well, you know, there are scholars uh, today, um, uh, one such as a fellow by the name of Bart Ehrman, who suggests another possibility. He says, you know, Jesus is not necessarily a liar, not a lunatic, not the Lord, but Jesus is a legend. Not his existence, of course, Jesus existed but, but these outlandish, extravagant claims to deity are things that Jesus never said, that he was just simply a humble traveling rabbi, never did any miracles, uh, never made outlandish claims, just went around teaching whoever wanted to listen to him. And then later, uh, after his death, his disciples uh, made up all these crazy stories about him, and they spread. And uh, the thing that we think of Jesus today, when we think of him, we read him in the Gospels, it's, it's just a legend. In fact, uh, Bart Ehrman uh, did a, a course. Um, was av- I think it still is available on The Great Courses. Have you ever seen The Great Courses? Um, I do one of those every once in a while to keep my, my mind my failing mind, sharp, right? But uh, but um, he, he did a course. I think they've changed the title of it. It used to be entitled um, How Jesus Became God. He's not a liar. He's not a lunatic. He's not the Lord. He's a legend. Makes sense. But I've got a I've got a question if that's the case. And here's my question. Because here's the thesis. That that Jesus didn't do any miracles, made no outlandish or outrageous claims, was, was just a traveling rabbi who went around teaching things like love your neighbor as yourself. And my question is this then. If that's true, why did they crucify him? Why would you crucify somebody going around and doing that? It wasn't the Romans' idea to crucify them. It was the idea of the Sanhedrin. And there's no question that Jesus was crucified. Lucian of Samosida, Serpian, Pliny, Suetonius, Josephus, Tacitus, all mention his crucifixion if he was just a harmless traveling rabbi who made no extraordinary claims, he was just merely a good teacher, why did they crucify him? Behold your God, the God who comes in might. And the gospel writers record for us the mocking that he endured. (laughs) They'd say power. (laughs) If you're the son of God, come down off that cross. He saved others, can't save himself. Spitting on him, Hitting him about the face with a reed saying, Prophesy for us, you Christ. And do you get the point of what they're saying? If, if you are God or the Son of God or whatever you claim to be, could we do this to you and this and this and this? God is all-powerful. You are wholly pathetic. If there's one thing the world understands, it's power. The Romans understood power. The Pharisees understood power. The mockers, the jeerers, they all understood power. Mao Zedong understood power. Politicians and princes understand power. You and I understand power. Jesus changes everything we think about power. And it's through the power of weakness that the kingdom of God is established. So Jesus willingly humbles himself. He goes to Jerusalem knowing what awaits him there. He rides in on a donkey. When he's betrayed and the arrest comes, Peter draws his sword, willing to die a glorious death, fighting for the kingdom that the Messiah will establish. And Jesus rebukes him and tells him to put his sword away. He's arrested, mocked, tried, stripped, scourged, and crucified. Crucifixion is the ultimate ignominy. Cicero wrote, The executioner, the veiling of heads, and the very word cross. Let them be removed not only from the bodies of Roman citizens, but even from their thoughts, their eyes, their ears. The mere mention of them is unworthy of a Roman citizen and of a free man. And almost as in response, the Apostle Paul writes, Christ Jesus, though he was in very form God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." The Lord your God comes. He comes in might and power, Isaiah had said. And then Isaiah wrote of him, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. And in his teaching, the islands of the earth will put their hope. It's through the power of weakness that the kingdom of God comes. And it's through humility, through weakness, that the kingdom of God comes in your life and in mine. We don't like that. We want what everyone recognizes as victory. We want what everyone understands as power. Christ suffered so we don't have to is what we wish with all of our hearts to be true. It's a lie that the prosperity gospel and the so-called Christian right have built prosperous businesses on. It appeals to our flesh. Paul prayed, that he might know the power of Christ's resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And he said, For it has been granted to you. The word that he uses there means to be given as a favor, as a gift. It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. Paul had heard the divine word that said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul could say, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, with insults, with hardship, with persecutions, with calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I'm content, Paul said. Are you? Because that's the way. It's the only way for the kingdom of God to be established in your life. For this is the will of God, Peter writes, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God you endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good, you suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. For by his stripes you have been healed. Behold your God. Behold the Lord who comes in might. Look at him riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. See what lies ahead of him. And how the kingdom of God is established changes everything we think about power. Father, in a world, in a world, Father, that understands power, that seeks power, that loves power, You, O Lord Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, you come with a kingdom that is not of this world. That that makes no sense to this world, in this world, that operates uh, according to a, a different set of values. And Father, you have called us to live uncomfortably as citizens of that kingdom, even while we must occupy the space of this one. Father, open our eyes to see the Lord Jesus reigning because he is. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Father, help us to see that by faith. To walk by faith and not by our sight. To uh, live in the light of what your word says. And not what our uh, eyes see or our world tells us. And Father, by your grace, establish your kingdom really and truly in our lives. That we, O Father, may be used of you to bring that kingdom to others. That your great name, O great Redeemer King, may be glorified.